welcome to the High Sensory People podcast. I'm Alicia May. I'm a high sensory leader coach and creative empath. And I'm Jane Elizabeth Aston. I'm a high sensory leader, coach and entrepreneur. We're high sensory people and we're passionate about raising awareness of the HSP trait and reframing it from being highly sensitive to high sensory and having high sensory intelligence. Did you know that 20 to 30% of the world's population are high sensory? We want to increase our visibility, change how the world sees us, and inspire and empower all HSPs to own their amazing qualities and unique gifts. We would love you to join us on this journey. We hope you enjoy this week's episode, which is episode 11. Today, we're going to be talking about high sensory extroversion and introversion. And um, Alicia's done a lot more background research on this than me. So Alicia, over to you. Thanks, Jane. Um, Haven't done loads, but definitely, definitely done enough. Um, So, you know, for me, with my story with this is, you know, I always knew there was an inner battle going on with me and it has been such a journey between the sensory person sensitivity side of things the empath side and needs and and then learning about that high sensation seeking side as well that we talked about and then learning that I'm um, of the extroverted kind of the high sensory which does take up about 30 percent of hsps um and you know we were just discussing earlier weren't we jane that we think that um a lot of the extroverted high sensory uh population do tend to have that high sensation seeking side um because having read these articles again not all of them it really again it's it's describing this inner war that's in us where we sort of crave that sort of stimulation that novelty that sort of excitement to be around other people but also on the flip side we've got this um deep desire to just be on our own to have that processing time and you know we love alone time and we actually get energy from being alone I definitely get recharged by being alone but I think you know we said in the last podcast that after sort of three days on my own absolutely love it but after sort of three or four days on my own you know being a bit of a homebody it's a case of oh I need to go out and interact with people and again that doesn't happen very often those three or four days because I'm always busy doing things um and then it's that sort of real stress of where we've had too much stimulation um so it's been this constant battle so we're going to go through some um some truths and misconceptions basically um this is on dr elaine aaron's website written by a lady called um jacqueline strickland and again uh please you know read this for yourselves if you're interested we'll put the link um below in the show notes and she, um, from what I read, I believe she took it from her own research, all, all this information. So she spent years interviewing people, getting questionnaires and getting that research together. So what Jane and I are going to do is we're going <clears> to <throat> sort of go go through the paragraphs um, for you guys to, to listen to, see what resonates with you. Um, I have to say reading these things was a bit of a game changer for me um, because it really helped with the he- high sensation seeking side of me. 
it really did help me accept and acknowledge this these needs of yes it's good to have the novelty and excitement and be with people but whoa hang on a minute because of my depth of processing um and and that need for downtime um it was just it became normal um and now i've found that balance for the most part it really has made um, a huge difference again it's that accelerator and break scenario for for the hsp introverts because um sorry extroverts because you know i've i've got the impression over the years with people that they sort of couldn't understand how i could be so sensitive to my environment um to the the energies that i pick up and my depth of processing yet i could be quite outgoing um very jokey and enjoying novelty and um not dangerous scenarios but you know doing the wild camping going abroad on my own you know people were kind of like gosh there's there's lots of personality types with you but it isn't about personality types it's just different aspects of us so jane before we crack on with the uh paragraphs um do you have anything that you want to share I think mainly that I find the whole introvert extrovert thing as an HSP quite confusing. Yeah. I think it's quite conflicting a lot of the information that's out there. And I did the Myers Briggs um, introversion extroversion test yesterday. I've done it a few times, and depending on how I'm feeling, I seem to get different scores. Um, but yesterday, I came out as 25% extrovert, 75% introvert. And yeah, Alicia and I, you know, we, we were talking. Um, before this and 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 by the end of our conversation I was going oh yes Alicia yes you're right you're you're an extrovert and um so I think it is really really confusing um mm. and and I think now is now a good time to mention um one of the uh emails that we got from one of our listeners Alicia yeah please um, do James so yeah fun. so so we had we had an email from Catherine thank you so much Catherine for taking the time to email us and um and she said that um she's been sort of listening um to the podcast and she shared it with a couple of her hsp friends which is brilliant um and um one of her friends said that as an introvert um they couldn't relate to us so much because we're both quite extroverted which is a you know an interesting observation in itself, I think, because I sort of am a bit, a bit on the fence. I'm like, oh no, I think I'm about ambivert because I've got a bit of both. And and uh, and Catherine asked, would we consider having talks with introverts? Yes, absolutely. We think that's a brilliant idea, and uh, and we'll be we'll be putting that in place over the coming weeks and months. I think because you know we're just two HSPs. We're both high high sensation seeking, and we both have you know, definitely have extrovert tendencies. Alicia, I know you class yourself as an extrovert. And to be honest, I probably am as well. So we can't possibly hope to represent HSPs as a whole because we're atypical, even for HSPs. So I love the suggestion to have, um, you know, have some kind of introvert HSP guests on. And also, I really, really liked um, Catherine's suggestion to, um, you know, talking about some suggestions for jobs for high sensory people, because I think, you know, that's uh, an area that we can struggle with. One thing that I think, you know, in our mission statement, 
we we um which we did very at the very beginning um and it's you know even before episode one um we in our mission statement we say some of the things that um hsps are naturally very sort of suited to and and gifted at the kinds of you know almost vocational careers so that's things like artists writers creatives therapists healers coaches um, and those are some of the things where I think, you know, our gifts can really shine. But actually, high sensory people are very much needed in leadership roles, very much, you know, teachers, educators, advisors, researchers, all sorts of areas. So I think that is another thing that I would really like us to cover in the fullness of time, too. So, Catherine, thanks again for your email. Yeah. And I just want to jump in on that really, really quickly. Um, as if to say, you know, it's almost like we can do most jobs as HSPs, can't we? It's really down to the environment because you could have a teacher that's, you know, um, not in a healthy environment for themselves. Yet if you were to put them in a healthy teaching environment, they would thrive. So it really is down to the environment as well as the job. But yeah, I mean, you could do pretty much any job. Um, to a point um, but it is just down to the environment isn't it for us yeah absolutely absolutely and and just to sort of answer Catherine's question really quickly as well she said what's your full-time job I don't have one I don't have yeah, a full-time job <laughs> I used to be um, a social policy researcher full-time I did that full-time for I don't know a decade 15 years And then I went self-employed and then over the last sort of, you know, however many years, I carried on doing that as a freelancer and I trained to be a nutritional therapist and I trained to be a coach. And so now um, I do coaching and I also continue to do a little bit of research. How about you, Alicia? Do you want to say what your... Yeah, what your work has been and is. So, yeah, uh, same. I don't have, um, you know, a nine to five full time job. Um, I try to keep my self-employed hours around anything between 30 to 40, which I know 40 sounds like a lot, but I can spread it if that makes any sense. You know, if it has to go over six days, then it will. But otherwise, I try to keep it in four days um, in an ideal world. Um, and being self-employed has been a lifesaver for me. It, it really has been a lifesaver. I have done full-time jobs, and within months, if not weeks, I start to feel like I'm dying on the inside. So I I knew at a very young age that full-time nine-to-five just wasn't uh, the way for me. I did spend years doing sort of a couple of part-time jobs, and that really did help um, have, having that difference. But again, I think I said it in the episode that we talked about is that, you know, again, it's going to take probably quite a few decades, um, if not maybe a few generations, but in an ideal world, any human should do no more than four days a week. So sort of 35, 37 hours a week should be the max. There is so much research out there that stresses, that yeah, five five days pay in four days, you get so much more from your um, employees and your staff and the business or the organization or whatever it is thrives 10 times um, as it did when it, they were working five days a week. So, you know, we really want to get that message out there that humans in general shouldn't work more than sort of 30, 35, 37 hours a week. Having those three days off makes a massive difference. 
Yeah, I think that's right. And just to add to that, you know, when I did have a full-time job and when I went into um, recovery for the second time, so 13, getting on for 14 years ago, and I thought I can't work five days a week and do my, you know, 12-step recovery as well. I just can't do it. And, you know, financially, I wasn't quite sure how it would work, but I thought I need to make it work to go down to four days a week. And so I did. Mm. I cut my hours down by 20%. My employer, I was employed at the time, was okay with that. And it made a world of difference. Having three days off and then working four days was so, so much better for me. And I, I actually don't know if I'd still be alive if I'd have carried on working five days. So I think, you know, we have to kind of set it in a our life and our health is the most important thing. And, you know, we can maybe get by on a little bit less money than we think we can sometimes. Yeah. And and I also want to add in, you know, it really comes down to that meaning and that purpose that we really crave as, as HSPs, isn't it? That, you know, potentially some HSPs could well do full-time job, whether they need to financially or they just love it so much. Um, but if it's got that, that meaning and that purpose that, has that drive and, and brings that energy and enthusiasm that they need to thrive then um you know that that's a win-win but um I do feel that if we're in jobs where there is um lack of meaning lack of purpose then um that really doesn't work well for us does it it's true actually if I think about all the time I spend on you know high sensory people stuff and, you know, coaching and, you know, this podcast and thinking about, you know, our high sensory tribe community that we've got plans for. That's a full-time job in itself, but because I love it so much, the hours are, um, give me energy rather than take from me. So I think it is, you know, turning our purpose into, um, you know, ways that look after us financially as well as spiritually that's the ideal isn't it it is the ideal so you know we appreciate that not everyone can do that but if you are in a position you know we really do um, encourage everybody to find that meaning and that purpose in, in their work yeah and it, it doesn't, doesn't happen overnight either it no taking this has years, been a 30 years. year you know career to get to this point you know exactly yeah when I think working so, so a long time cool. now and, and, yeah. I'm, and I'm now at a point where I can you know kind of get money from things I really love rather than yeah you know, just because I have to work exactly exactly so yeah so thank you Catherine I hope those um answers to your question were helpful um you know again if you have any more please please do uh get in contact we love to hear from you and yeah we look forward to getting um a major int- uh, introvert on the show we've got a few that we know so we'd, we'd oh. love to have them on and, and we've already thought of them in the pipeline anyway so this is this is great yeah yeah but I digress I made us digress yeah don't worry back to it extroverts and introverts absolutely so I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot with the the first one so the high high sensory uh, extrovert meets most if not all of the criteria that um, a lady that wrote the book um, called Quiet describes as an introvert so we are contemplative we're introspective kind gentle empathic creative visionary intense and perceptive you know, and again, we come back to Elaine Aron's does, you know, depth of, of processing, um, overstimulation, the empathy and um, and the subtlety, sensory subtleties that we have. Um, so many of us are social justice activists, teachers, humanitarians, poets, spiritual teachers or counsellors. 
um, and prefer a less stimulating environment over a more random social one. So again, you know, that question from Catherine was was fantastic, really, because again, we did talk about we can do a lot of jobs. Um, Elaine Aaron says that we do tend to be very good at the sort of um, royal advisor roles. But again, it comes down to the environment. Um, we're not, even as an extrovert, HSP, we're not good with just random, noisy, like I couldn't cope with an open plan office. It just wouldn't wouldn't work for me. Um, do you have anything to add to, to that paragraph? No, I think I think that's good. I mean, I did read the book by Susan Kane, Quiet. I think it's called something like The Quiet Power of Introverts in a World That Won't Stop Talking. Mm. I read it and I absolutely devoured it because I thought this is talking about me. Oh, my goodness me, I must be an introvert. Yeah. And actually, I've since read, you know, people, including Elaine Aaron, comment that Susan Kane is actually talking about highly about about um high sensory people rather than introverts um because it describes high sensory extroverts as much as it does non-hsp introverts so it and, and also just to say that you know when we talk about introversion extroversion all of these things and even you know um being high sensory it's all on a scale yeah. and it is um, a construct, a human construct to describe behaviours, types of behaviours, you know, it's not like you've got blue eyes or brown eyes, you know, it's no. not like, oh, you're you're either one or the other. All of these things are, you know, they're, they're quite an inexact science, really. So yes. I think it is just ways of describing people. Um, and I think we have to be really careful to, to remember that, particularly when we're talking about, you know, the high sensory people kind of, um, uh, you know, what, what marks us out, the, the things that you just described, including overstimulation and depth of processing. So that's one layer. And then over that, we've got the layer of introversion and extroversion. And that looks different for high sensory people than it does for non-high sensory people. So it's quite a complicated picture. It is. And then to add on to that, you know, we're both empaths. So then at, that adds another aspect to us. So I can't actually be around just anybody, you know, because it says with HSP extroverts, you know, that we get energy from people. Well, because I'm an empath, I can't get energy from just anybody. Right. You know, there has to be that frequency, that alchemical exchange, isn't there, Jane? So again, you know, we've got all these factors. Like you said, there is this scale. It isn't a case of black and white. Um, and it depends how we're, we're feeling on the day. And, and this next um, paragraph is, is, is really good because it says the um, so she describes it as the HSE does does need to go inward. It is in these quieter environments where we retreat for the deep internal processing that comes naturally to being a HSP. Mm. This inward state is also where our spiritual life resides and where we rest and recharge from an often harried external world. So again, those days we might we'll tick all the boxes for an introvert, wouldn't we? Because we just yes. want to go inwards. We just want that downtime. So, um, so, you know, it is, you know, it is what it is. We are what we are. Um, shall I crack on to the next one? Um, I'll just come in on that. I think yeah. that's really important. So just to kind of reiterate, so HSE stands for, in this case, the highly sensitive or high sensory extrovert. 
And this this idea about high sensory extroverts needing quiet environments and needing to go inward because this is where our spiritual life resides. Well, you know, spiritual life is really important for me, is for a lot of us. Mm. And so it is absolutely critical that I have the time and the space and the quiet indeed, usually to be able to retreat within to connect with myself spiritually and then from there to be able to connect externally spiritually and that makes me look like an introvert but when you see me in a room of people provided I've got sufficient resources to operate well in that you you know then I absolutely look like an extrovert Mm, absolutely Yeah. yeah You know, and, and I um, now I'm, you know, the last couple of years, you know, been really focusing on my needs. I probably come across more introverted now because I'm not doing the socials so more. I'm not texting people so much. I'm not on social media so much. You know, and yesterday was a prime example. It was what I would call an unstructured day. I was I was at home all day working from home, but I did so much catching up with myself and I just felt so nurtured and nourished from having a solo solo day so it's a case of oh you know does that make me introverted no I'm still an extrovert high sensory person but I still have the same needs as as an introvert um so I'll crack on so the HSE also needs to gain energy from the external world because if we spend too much time in this inner world we can become lethargic restless unmotivated or even slightly depressed it is then we know we need to get out of our inner world and seek novel stimulation, which will inspire or energize us. Notice the word novel. Our excursions in the outer world need to be novel and chosen by us based on our individual needs or else the activity can become just as overstimulating for us as the introvert HSP. And even when we are out very much enjoying ourselves, we can often return home overstimulated, physically tired and in need of extra sleep or processing time. Well, I have to say, when I read this a couple of years ago, it was just tick, 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 tick. It really resonated with me. So although I got so much from a day trip of going somewhere, even if it was in the countryside and it was maybe a national trust place, you know, very sort of lovely environment, I would get home at the end of the day and I was absolutely creamed. I was knackered. So this really did resonate deeply with me. Um, What about you, Jane? Yes, it really does. And I think, you know, this, um, this description particularly reminds me very much of the high sensation seekers needs so we need novelty if we don't get out and about to get the novelty that we need we do become lethargic restless unmotivated and slightly depressed um we need you know stimulation but it does need to be chosen quite carefully based on what we need or we just get overstimulated and, you know, in my case, I shut down. And and at that point, then I absolutely do need extra sleep. I need processing time. I need time to recover. So I think that's another thing that we can overlay on the high sensory person um, scale, the introvert and extrovert continuum. And then we've also got the high sensation seeker aspect of the trait. And so um, Alicia and I, both HSPs, both 
I think it looks like I'm an extrovert. So both extroverts and uh, and both high sensation seekers. So we're, you know, gosh, we're really not typical of HSPs because I think 30% of HSPs are extroverts. And actually around about 30% of HSPs, it's estimated are high sensation seekers. So we were talking earlier about how, um, and I think this is written somewhere as well, that it's likely that most high sensation seekers are uh, most, most HSP high sensation seekers are extroverts. Mm. I mean, who knows? I think there just needs to be a lot more research done on all of this. This is a huge topic. People need to do, you know, PhDs on this and spend years on it. And then perhaps we'll be having this discussion in 10 years and we'll have a nice little diagram that we can kind of summarize it all with. Exactly. Exactly. No, totally agree with that. Um, okay, so the uh, the next paragraph is the HSC is not the same as the ambivert. Why? Because ambiversion implies one can choose to go out, engage in social activities and enjoy themselves without the kind of overstimulation, deep processing or awareness of subtleties that HSPs encounter. Ambiversion also does not take into account the other characteristics in the DOES acronym mentioned above. Did you want to add any of that to anything to that, Jane? Well, I think, you know, if I can be an ambivert, then I am. But that paragraph to me sounds as though HSPs can't be ambiverts. Mm. So if you're HSP and you think you're an ambivert, you might actually just be an HSP extrovert. Right. Because yeah. according yeah. to this. Yeah. The plot thickens. Absolutely. Because it's like, you know, I know, I know, right? Um, when I love that, when I, you know, when I'm overstimulated, you know, definitely in the past when I've um, overbooked myself, you know, I've had to cancel stuff. Whereas a typical, what that I'm saying, I'm assuming what she's saying with the ambivert is they would still go ahead and have that occasion they would still just make it work you know whereas being the hsp side i was like i've got a council like i'm cooked and you know i need i need to do me um okay so the next one is when in more positive environments as individually defined by the hse we can be highly responsive and our natural joy curiosity and enthusiasm might be viewed as generally extroverted which has definitely been my case being fiery and passionate yeah. our high uh so our high sensory enthusiasm can be contagious if we are not careful we can become easily overstimulated and may overstimulate others as well and i have to say that's been me <laughs> that's totally been me over the years in more negative environments the hse can appear to be introverted we can also become quiet reserved or withdrawn and that's definitely been the case with me. It it really has. When I'm when I'm around people that I'm uncomfortable with, if there's um maybe an aggressive environment or it's completely overwhelming me, that is when I shut down and withdraw and and appear and you know, and I've had people over the years, somebody recently sort of said to me, like, Oh, are you okay? Like you haven't said much. And it's like, oh no, I'm I'm just, you know, really tired and you know, just not feeling it, you know. Um, what about you, Jane? Yes, exactly the same. I think it describes it really well. And basically what this says to me is that the um, the high sensory extrovert is very, um, 
dependent almost on the surroundings as to how we are in the right social environment i will be very extroverted full of joy curiosity and enthusiasm and sometimes you know i sort of look and everyone's listening to me and it's like i become an entertainer almost i can't do it on demand but i can naturally find myself in that role and sometimes in a less conducive environment to me for me people the same people will look at me and expect me to do that but I can't because it's a more negative environment and I become more introverted so it's really interesting it's almost like I'm on this bit of elastic which will sort of stretch and contract depending on what kind of environment I'm in um yeah I mean there's another couple of researchers Belsky and Plews who in apparently a 2009 paper they talk about this as uh, in terms of differential susceptibility which I might have to have a read of one day. I probably won't get around to it, but I imagine that's quite an interesting explanation of that piece of elastic that I just talked about. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think what this is, is, you know, HSP extroverts are very affected by their environments. A positive one, our extroversion will shine. And in a negative one, it'll disappear and we will appear as though we're introverts. Exactly, because it is, you know, for us in particular, isn't it, Jane, it is down to the energy in the room, the energy in the environment, the energy within ourselves, you know, when I'm really depleted, and you put me in any other in a normal situation that I would normally find myself in, but I'm depleted, you're not going to get anything from me, you know, it will, if I do push myself, it will come at a cost. Um, Okay, so the next one is, unlike the introvert, the HSE looks forward to creating meaningful time out in the world um, and are often catalysts for others to join in our unique adventures. However, we can grow tired and depleted of energy, being the only one to initiate activities with our more introverted companions. Hmm. So, yeah, what would you say with that one, Jane? Because I I definitely feel I am a bit of a catalyst. And somebody described me as that a couple of weeks ago, actually. She says, you are this catalyzer, you know, this. And I do, I seem to, again, it's not with everybody, but I do um, sort of, yeah, um, have people sort of want to join in on, on the adventures or whatever they are. I mean, occasionally. Occasionally, yes, I can do that. I can certainly, you know, rally the troops. Mm. If it's the right activity for me, yeah. if I'm sufficiently enthusiastic about it, if I'm not, I'll just let somebody else do it because I'm not that bothered. But if it's something that I'm really bothered about, um, then then yeah, absolutely. And, and and something I was thinking about this morning. So, you know, I grew up in Birmingham in the centre of the UK, but I've lived in Brighton on the south coast of the UK for more than 20 years. And I mean, the reason I moved down is slightly crazy and I won't go into it now, but within a few years of me moving down, my cousin moved down and then another friend and then another two friends moved into the area, um, all from Birmingham. Okay. And I've always thought that was interesting. (laughs) There you go. I mean, I do think that, you know, Brighton does have, I've been thinking about this quite a lot. I think Brighton does have a very, um, I just think it has a higher frequency 
than the Midlands. And it's by the beach. I mean, that's massive. And you're near London. I mean, it's fantastic. All of that. All of that. And the people who live in Brighton are very eclectic. You know, it's very Very artsy as well, isn't it? It's very spiritual. There's a lot of recovery here. It is a place of great extremes as well. You know, wealth and poverty, you know, addiction and recovery. Uh, I mean, it's perfect for me because I love the light and the dark, you know, you've got to have both sides. Absolutely. And um, so, I, and I really noticed it, you know, I was in, I was in Birmingham at the weekend with my family and I got the train back down and I arrived yesterday and I always get off the train in Brighton or Hove, depending on, you know, where I'm living. And and I, as I walk home or, you know, get a taxi or the bus or whatever, I'm always aware that I feel so happy and relieved to be back here and I think it is because there is this vibration that's higher and that really works well for me here. And um, I mean, that might be another reason why people move down because they can sense it too. Yeah. I've often found there's definitely an energetic difference between being um, in places that are on the coast and inland. Yes. Again, I do wonder if that energy of the wind and the sea just whips up through those towns and those cities more so than the inland ones. You know, it's just an energy thing. I just, you know, have often uh, felt. Um, yeah, Birmingham always felt very landlocked to me. I mean, as a child, mm. I didn't know the difference. You know, that's right. where I grew up. That's where I lived for the first 18 years. But I think once I, you know, I first lived in, in Brighton when I was 18. And I think once I'd experienced living so near the coast, I became very reluctant to not. And the shorter periods of time when I did live inland again, I felt trapped. Mm. I felt trapped. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So, we digress. Yeah, we yeah we do, do we? It's fine. Okay, so the next one is, because of our tendency towards the overstimulation, it is not unusual for the HSE to leave an event early. Even when enjoying an activity, we can often return home feeling wired and tired mm-hmm. because the very chosen activity that energised us can also make us tired and in need of alone time or a nap. Well, Jane, I don't know about you, but that's me down to a T. The wired and tired has always been a theme. Um, and it's a, it's quite an uncomfortable feeling because that wired and tired, you know, sometimes it can be a happy, excited, wired and tired. But it can actually, for me, sometimes kick off that uh, uh, anxiety, you know, because when I am tired, um, that anxiety is more prominent. Whereas when I'm sort of balanced and not tired, um, it, it's just not there. So, um, yeah, again, you know, we mentioned about, you know, if I've done a day trip or something, um, I definitely need to come home, have that alone time um, or even take a nap in the middle of an event, you know, say a wedding, like, you know, not that I've been to one for a few years, but, you know, if there is a wedding where you have to go to the event, um, you know, it's not near home or even when it's been near home, it's like, oh, I'm just going to pop home and and have half an hour meditation or nap. And, you know, for me, there's, um, I get really energized with a 30 minute nap. And I know that it's really popular with the Olympians these days, the Olympic athletes is this sort of 30, 30 minute power nap um, through the day makes a massive difference. Um, And what about you, Jane, would you resonate with that paragraph? Yeah, very much. I have to watch the wired and tired yeah. Is at that point I've gone too far and I can't get I can't I can't get the the recuperation, the downtime that I need. It takes it takes ages. Um so yeah. 
yeah, I feel like you covered that really well. Oh, fabulous. So um, the next one is the HSE can often be found engaged in interesting, novel, creative activities outside the home. And we often enjoy these activities more with one or two others when out and about in their chosen activities. They are warm and engaging often enjoying or initiating conversations with strangers they meet and or sometimes making a new friend. Again, this does really resonate with me because, you know, when it is an activity outside the home and it's just a one-to-one, you know, I'm, I'm taking kite surfing uh, lessons at the moment and this guy's been been really great and we're having these one-to-one sessions and they're really great and it's not too much stimulation. But if there was sort of again six or eight I would be overwhelmed you know when I went for a, for a walk with a friend uh, last week we were walking along the beach and it was lovely uh, but she had a dog so we ended up interacting with a lot of dog owners which on one level was lovely but I got really tired you know I really needed to sit down after just an hour hour and a half because although we were ch- chatting I was then chatting to maybe another 15 20 other people and I just got to be honest, I was cooked and I don't have a dog. So that was sort of a new thing to me. And although it was enjoy, it, I did enjoy it. You know, I was like, oh, God, I'm a bit cooked. Um, so that's, you know, definitely the case with me that, um, yeah, I just I really resonated with that. Uh, what about you, Jane? Yeah, I think this idea about enjoying activities more with just one or two other people is really true rather than a big group I mean I have done stuff in big groups and and that's okay I probably wouldn't I probably you know don't seek it out that often although on occasion when it happens I do really love it as long as I can leave early when I get really tired you know as as, as we've talked about above um I, I I like what this says about often enjoying or initiating conversations with strangers um that I meet because I do do that mm-hmm. which is extroverted isn't it that's it, not something that an introvert would do exactly. you know I do I'm pretty chatty yeah you know with people who I just encounter yeah a nice little chat that brightens my day. What I find, though, going back to what you were saying about when you were on the, you know, the the dog walk with your friend, if I initiate it, if it's my choice, then that doesn't drain my energy. But if I'm with somebody and they keep initiating it and I'm just having to join in, I find that exhausting. Yes. And that's exactly what happened. You know what? You really hit the nail on the head there. I would say I resonate with that completely. Like you say, if I've done it, it's a completely different scenario but when they keep doing it it's like oh gosh I've got to keep up this you know yeah Yeah. no it it is exhausting because I know when to stop with that you know when it tips over from being enjoyable and you know uh, and kind of satisfying that need for novelty and connection into now I'm just tired I stop if I'm on my own, I stop. I stop doing it. I'll just like I'll just look at the ground. I won't make eye contact with people, and I'll just do that sort of like look after myself, protect thing. Uh, whereas you know, if I'm with somebody who's a non-HSP and an extrovert, and they're just quite happy to talk to random strangers all day long, my goodness me, I have to sort of find my I find my way to 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 leave them as well. Otherwise, I get dragged into a load of interactions that I don't have the capacity for anymore. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so the next one 
is HSEs differ according to their age. The younger HSE is likely to be quite social, never turning down an invitation to do something with their friends. This might be because they possess more physical energy, which allows them to enjoy more extroverted activities. The more mature or older HSE is not rewarded by social activities, nor by interacting with friends or strangers, unless it is an environment and interaction based on trust, openness and authenticity. And I have to say, this one, bang on with me. Mm-hmm. When I think about the things I was doing um, before my sort of mid mid late 20s, you know, I was I was like everybody else t- to a degree. You know, my, my schedule was busy. You know, I was working full time or at college full time and I'd work a Saturday and a Sunday. I somehow you know, would still get my down natural downtime. Um, but I just would bounce back quite easily. Then sadly, you know, with with traumas and, and things and getting older and now, you know, well into my um mid late thirties, I just do not have the energy that I had ten years ago. Like there's just no way. Um and I'm a lot more conscious about who and how I spend my time. And that really has made a difference with um my age now so even just sort of three or four years ago uh you know let's say four years ago so pre-covid I was living a life that wasn't really right for me and I was always exhausted and every sort of three or four months I'd have a bit of a nervous breakdown I'd get really fatigued you know I just couldn't understand this cycle that happened for about sort of four or five years you know post-trauma and just working too much um thinking I was like I should be like everybody else but um you know it just didn't work for me so you know the older I get um the less I'm doing socially really and you know that alone time has just become more precious you know that um that inner world has has become sacred what about you Jane yes this one is spot on isn't it that um, high sensory people who are extroverts when we're younger we look like everybody else we've got the energy we've got the resources and also certainly when we were growing up the trait had not so it had certainly not been written about <laughs> um it hadn't been you know <laughs> Nobody, nobody knew. We didn't know we were HSP when we were kids. So, you know, and and certainly, you know, it was a good idea to try and fit in. So to fit in, you've just got to be like everybody else and do all the stuff that everybody else does. So, yeah, I was pretty social when I was younger. And, you know, drink and drugs played a very heavy part in that, helping me to be social, even when I didn't really feel like it, because I sort of felt, well, I've got to be like everybody else. If I don't do that, then there's something wrong with me. And also I'm a high sensation seeker. So I kind of wanted that novelty and I wanted to take those risks because that was all kind of part of the game of it. Um, and yeah, um, as I got older, certainly into my thirties, I, I started realizing that, you know, this was potentially not right for me because I, I seemed to get more tired than everybody else, but I didn't really know why. Um, and as, you know, I kind of went into my forties, um, and also discovered about the high sensory trait, um, I think probably at that point, and they both happened around about the same time. Um, around about when I was 40, I, um, I have become much more intentional about how I spend my social time. I've got a limited amount of time 
available to me that I can be with people. And so I want to make it count. I want it to be enjoyable. I want it. It has to be based on trust, openness and authenticity. If Mm. it doesn't have those things, if I can't get that connection, if I can't feel heard and understood, and if I can't also, you know, I don't know. I don't have to like feel understood. It's not all about me, but there has to be a connection. There has Mm. to be a connection. It has to feel valuable to me. And if it doesn't, then I haven't got time for it. That's it. And you touched on a word of, of valuable. And, and this is something I've learned over the last couple of years is, is that value piece. As if you're with somebody that clearly doesn't value you, it's like, well, why am I doing this? Why are we doing this? Like, let's not waste either of our, you know, times. You know, it, it's it's got to be right for both parties. Yeah. If it's just, do you know what? They could be having this conversation with any number of people out walking down the street it doesn't have to be me I'm like let it be one of the other people exactly (laughs) I feel like you know I'm able to bring something unique which is useful and valued and I'm also heard and valued then that's worth its weight in gold to me and I'll prioritize that and I think you know that is why it is absolutely wonderful to meet through the coaching community where you and I met Alicia and, you know, sort of through, you know, um, the 12 step community where, you know, I'm, I'm sort of able to spot HSPs quite easily. It is so wonderful meeting and connecting and spending time with other HSPs because we naturally have those interactions based on trust, openness and authenticity, like not 100 percent of the time, but the vast majority of the time. And that's yeah. a really precious thing. And I'll, yeah. I value that and I'll make time for that above pretty much everything else. Absolutely. And I'll just finish with, you know, again, it comes back to everything we do has to have a purpose purpose doesn't it and it has to have meaning you know I can't just have meaningless conversations they've got to have meaning it's got to have a purpose behind that conversation and and anything that we we tend to do right Jane I've just clocked the time um should we should we do a part two with the rest of these what do you think yes I think that would be a really good idea because um to do this justice we're going to need to spend probably the same amount of time again Um, So we will be coming back to the second half of our discussion on high sensory extroverts in an episode very soon. Fantastic. Great. Yeah, so thank you so much for for joining us today. We really hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Um, Again, we'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments. You know, that really tickled us hearing from Catherine. So, you know, please, please do get in contact um, and please subscribe share and review our podcast and I just want to add before you announce uh next week's episode Jane is again we're really excited to announce that we are building um an online community you know we were just you just mentioned earlier about you know being around other HSPs really is so nourishing 
So we are going to be launching our own online community um, called the High Sensory Tribe, which we'll be launching in September. So we hope for you to join us there. Yeah, it's incredibly exciting. It's not, it's going to be a nourishing place, but it's also going to be an exciting and inspiring place, we hope, with your help. Join us for next week's episode when we'll be talking to Willow McIntosh about high sensory men and why it's important for HSP men to own their trait. The new documentary, Sensitive Men Rising by Will Harper, premiered a couple of weeks ago, so it's a really timely conversation. Bye for now. Bye for now.